Because today's episode deals with a sensitive subject of pastors who are often attacked, uh, this is a good time for me to tell you about a book, a novel series that I have written, two books that I call the Michael Andre Lansing series. Book one, The Whisper, deals with the struggle one pastor faces with God when he's accused falsely, turns his world upside down. It's an adventurous book, lots of intrigue. Uh, really processing the whole struggle of a pastor trying to deal with this sort of thing. In Book Two, The Guardians, I tell the story of a pastor who finds tremendous support from his elders during a very difficult ministry and marriage crisis. Both books, The Whisper and The Guardian, can be ordered by Amazon or on Amazon, and I hope you will do that. Okay, enough about me. Let's go to the podcast. I hope one of the things that the, the pastors who have gone through this experience get from my book is that they're not alone. They're, they're not the only person who's ever had that experience because I hope that they now understand that it's not information about them, information about this congregational system that allows this to happen. The way that you stop it is when you have strong denominational support and you have strong healthy leadership in the congregation that are basically going to go to these dysfunctional personalities, these antagonists, and tell them, knock it off. Well, it is a good conversation to have, and it's one of the reasons that I wrote the book, was to bring this pattern of behavior out of the darkness into the light. Uh, because I think it's only by educating the lay leadership and the denominational leadership. Well, you, you write, you describe um, an antagonist this way. You say they go for the juggler, they have a singular goal, they want to hurt, humiliate, and destroy the senior pastor. In the course of their attacks, they intentionally want to divide the congregation between those that agree with them and the supporters of the rector. Uh, you still hold to that? Hey, I want to welcome you again to the Before You Quit podcast, where we want to bring courage and perspective when serving gets hard. And man, does it get hard sometimes. My name is Mitch Schultz. I am the director of a ministry called Fruitful Vine Ministry, and I'm your host for today's podcast. Actually, I'm your host for every podcast. I have yet taken the opportunity to pass this on to someone else. Uh, So before I get into our topic today, I want to tell you a story. Uh, When I was, I think, six years old, and it could be that I'm embellishing this story anytime I tell a story, either in a sermon or some other context, I usually get corrected on some of the details uh, so I'll ask for permi- uh, forgiveness first before asking for permission or accuracy. But my parents uh, were missionaries in the jungles of Papua, and there's a vivid memory that I have of walking with my sister, and she was attacked by a goat. And as I recall, I had a little toy airplane with me, and as the goat was charging after her and beginning to attack her, I chased her off with my Uh, airplane. And I became the hero that day, fighting off the goat with a toy airplane. And my sister has been eternally indebted to me for that. Uh, There's another kind of attack happening today that I wish I personally could fight off in the way that I protected my sister, Uh, but I really can't. Uh, The attack is not by goats, but by sheep who are persistently attacking their pastors and churches across our society. Uh, You've heard the stories, and they are not infrequent at all, of pastors who are criticized, and sometimes it uh, becomes—it's not that unusual that it could become rather volatile and painful. Uh, Today, pastors are often uh, under attack even from those who they long to serve and those who they love. And again, I wish I could fend off those attacks, 
Uh, and in some way, this ministry, uh, Fruitful Vine Ministry and these podcasts, Before You Quit, is about doing that, doing a small part that I can to uh, protect pastors and defend off the, uh, the kind of things that he faces, the pressures, at least help him to be strong and healthy in the context of these battles. Um, and in many ways, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing because I'm a survivor of what we are going to refer today as uh, when sheep attack. Uh, today's topic is one that's very personal to me. Uh, several years ago, my wife and I took a retreat during a very hard time in our ministry, and it was a great three day away, uh, three days away, just to get perspective and to be alone. And we also received some uh, professional help and, and counseling just to process some of the pain of ministry. And part of the survival for me came from a number of books that were in the cabin, the chalet where we were staying. Uh, that helped me to get perspective in ministry. And and one book I shared in my first podcast was a book called Before You Quit. Sound familiar? The podcast is named after that. But there was another book written by Dr. Dennis Maynard with the intriguing title, When Sheep Attack. And I read that book, and it was like, ah, okay, that is what is going on. And uh, And since then, I've read that book four or five times. I've given it out to a lot of pastors and even to a number of church elders. I remember one time a man bought like 20 copies and gave them to the entire leadership of his church, saying that, hey, you need to read this, because this is what your pastor is up against often. And we don't want to be this kind of, uh, the, these kind of people uh, in, in our relationship to our pastor. Well, guess what? Today, I actually have the privilege of talking to the author of that book himself. It is a deep honor for me to do that. Uh, his book, When Sheep Attack, is based on, and this is what the interview is really going to be based on, talking about that book, and it's based on 25 case studies of clergy that were attacked by small groups of misguided antagonists in their congregations, and the documented cases illustrate the method that the antagonists used to successfully uh, remove their senior pastor, and oftentimes leaving the congregation divided and crippled. And the book reveals how it happens and what could have been done to stop it and what could be done to prevent it from happening to your pastor and uh, your parish. So Dr. Maynard serves some of the largest congregations in the Episcopal Church in America. Uh, he maintains an extensive travel schedule. He's a frequent speaker, leads retreats. He's also consulted with districts and parishes and schools, religious organizations throughout the United States and Canada. Uh, he lives in California, and it is a real thrill for me to have this opportunity to talk to Dr. Maynard and to have this important conversation. Well, I'm excited to have uh, on the other end of my screen here, Dr. Dennis Maynard, and uh, tell me a little bit where you are, Dennis. In Rancho Mirage, California. It's in Southern California. It's in the Coachella Valley. It's uh, very near Palm Springs, California. And so that should help people uh, kind of locate where we're located. We I imagine it's a, it's a beautiful place. I can see the sun shining through the blinds of your, your window there, leaving some lines on your uh, distinguished-looking face, and uh, that speaks evidence of a lot of sunshine. We have lots of sunshine. It's probably 80-something degrees today, uh, light breeze. Uh, there's a little snow still on some of our mountains around the valley. So it's kind of pretty, but uh, 
flowers in the yard, snow in the mountain. Well, let's even this out. I'm, I'm in a room that's a good 74 degrees, so we were in the same boat here. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate you uh, being willing to do this. Uh, we, we don't know each other, really. Uh, we had some contact uh, four or five years ago. Um, you, you're a celebrity to a lot of pastors. You've written a number of books, and uh, you wrote a book, and we'll talk a little bit about, uh, I'll share a little bit of, a little later in the interview here, what I was going through when I read your book, but during a difficult uh, ministry season, uh, I picked up your book entitled When Sheep Attack, and uh, it completely, as I shared with you before I hit record, uh, completely changed my perspective of what, was, what I was going through, realizing that uh, uh, hey, the problem is not just me. I mean, maybe there's some things I contributed to this, but there, there's a pattern, there's a trend uh, that seems to exist across the board in churches uh, that you refer to as sheep that attack. So uh, talk, let's jump right in. Um, what, uh, why did you write the book? What was behind that? Well, again, that was, you, you described it pretty well. I, you know, just by accident, more than anything else, I was being invited to lead uh, clergy conferences, uh, uh, consult with clergy vestries uh, and boards across denominational lines, and I began to hear the same story over and over again. And I began to wonder whether or not that was uh, coincidence or if there was definitely a pattern there. And so I then did 25 case studies with clergy that I had not consulted with, but I had heard about uh, through the grapevine or by referral that had left their positions because a handful of people in the congregation uh, were causing them so much grief. And what I discovered in those 25 case studies that it was not coincidental, but that there is a very distinct pattern of behavior in the congregations that uh, lead those clergy to leave because life has just become so miserable for them. Mm, mm. So when you were at these meetings, uh, what did you start hearing from pastors that led you to believe that this is a, quite a pervasive uh, issue? Well, one of the first things that I learned was that uh, it was just a few people in the congregation that the overwhelming majority, 90-some percent of the congregation, was happy with the pastor. Uh, that the church was growing, it was thriving, that there was good stewardship, that there were new people joining, but still there was this handful that was just miserable. Then the other surprising thing that I discovered that there seemed to always be what uh, either a, a volunteer layperson or a layperson on the staff or uh, an ordained member of the staff, perhaps an associate pastor, uh, that was uh, kind of the cheerleader for the little small group and egging them on in their critique of the pastor and almost giving them ways, uh, feeding them ways that they could make life miserable for them. Uh, what was really uh, surprising was in the case studies, I discovered that often that was a retired pastor that had retired mm -hmm. in the congregation or perhaps was the former pastor that had retired and continued to maintain connection with the congregation. That was one of the most surprising things I discovered. So it, it could be that there's a, a group who are, who are discontent, and then suddenly they find someone that can be a voice for them, 
uh, or it could be someone who's in leadership who wants to rally people against the pastor. I, I mean, what, which of those have you seen, or is it hard to, to really, you know, see which came first? It's a chicken and egg situation. Mm. I don't know how you determine it. Because it did, did, the, did the group find the, the, let's call them the dysfunctional pastor, or did the dysfunctional pastor find the group? Uh, what I do know, and not enough evidence to draw a conclusion from it, I do know that in a few situations when the bishop, let's say, or the board removed that person from the congregation, things seemed to settle down. Mm-hmm. Not all. Uh, that's why you can't draw a conclusion based upon it. But sometimes it helps uh, when uh, that person was removed from the from the scene. Yeah, and 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 I've seen too. Uh, again, we were sharing a little bit about you know my ministry helping pastors who are hurt. That sometimes that does happen. You know that there perhaps have been some disciplinary measures that have been carried out, but the pastor has been hurt. And uh, for him even to recover from that can, can be difficult. And, and many pastors end up leaving, even though there has been, you know, uh, efforts to, to try to remove people who are uh, rebellious or, or antagonistic. Well, again, whenever the, 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 the pastor chooses to leave, and, and, and that's really the way it needs to be placed. Mm-hmm. The pastor chooses to leave, and they choose to leave normally because it's beginning to the the whole situation is beginning to impact their health it's beginning to impact their marriage it's beginning to impact their family it's beginning to impact their spirituality and for their own health and i think often we pastors see it as that for the health of the congregation we choose to remove ourselves from the situation and i think it's a sign of health when a pastor removes themselves from a situation in which there can be no um, resolution. Mm, uh, mm. And it, takes a, a, it takes almost spiritual discernment to realize that there is going to be no happy solution to this. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think the pastor will go into his next ministry uh, somewhat hesitant, uh, too, uh, maybe suspicious, maybe unable to trust people. And, and this is where, again, what I do in helping pastors in transition is, is helping them uh, to be healthy for their next ministry, to go into it with a, uh, a strong sense of well-being, understand the dynamics of people, uh, which is what you have contributed to, to the conversation. Well, I hope one of the things that the, the pastors who have gone through this experience get from my book is that they're not alone. They're, they're not the only person who's ever had that experience because I hope that they now understand that it's not information about them, information about this congregational system that allows this to happen. Because uh, the, the, the way that you stop it is when you have strong denominational support and you have strong, healthy leadership in the congregation that are basically going to go to these dysfunctional personalities, these antagonists, and tell them, knock it off. Mm. not going to put up with this in our congregation. Um, some of the healthiest bishops that I've worked with have obviously just gone to the people who were causing uh, trouble and saying, you can now go take your letter of membership to any other congregation in my diocese, but you're no longer a member of this congregation. And uh, that's a very healthy way that, that the problem gets resolved. 
Yeah, I was, I was reading your book again yesterday, and I think you mentioned there that of the 25 uh, case studies, that only happened one time where the, the bishop or the, in our denomination or others, might be a district superintendent, uh, took the side of the pastor. Um, what, what's going on there? Well, again, I think they're looking at it from a, a denominational uh, standpoint. Uh, I've actually had bishops say to me, you know, I can always get another priest. I can't get another congregation. Wow. <laughs> you know, I've also... What's your uh, reaction when they say that? I'm curious. <laughs> I say... I mean, like, other than punching them in the face. I'm kidding. No, but, no, um, no, honestly, what, what do you want to say and what do you end up saying? I usually say, well, you, not only are you going to lose your pastor, but you're going to lose about 30 to 40% of your mm, congregation. Because that's what you've seen. Because, uh, and I have evidence of it, uh, you know, that, that when the pastor leaves uh, under those kind of conditions, about uh, 30 per to 40% of the congregation leaves as well. And you can go back and look at congregations where this has happened, and you can see that where formerly they had three or four services on, on Sunday, they now have two. You can look at the membership records. You can look at the giving, the stewardship. You can look at the attendance. Uh, to see attendance of worship, and it's not what it was before. Okay, I want to I want to talk a little bit more about uh, those people, <laughs> and and maybe someone listening will realize, hey, wait a minute, I've been that person, which I think could be one of the goals of this podcast is to because uh, we do have lay people listening to this is is to uh, really you know prompt them to want to be one of those that supports the pastor and cheerleads the pastor and, and is not one, uh, you know, causing hurt. But before we define the antagonist, I, I want to make a little bit of a disclaimer here because this conversation could be a real, real downer. You know, I mean, um, I'm, I'm sensing it just talking to you, you know, I'm kind of reliving my own story in a way. Um, so lift me up a little bit and, and uh, tell me why is this conversation a good conversation to have? Well, it is a good conversation to have, and it's one of the reasons that I wrote the book, was to bring this pattern of behavior out of the darkness into the light. Uh, because I think it's only by educating the lay leadership and the denominational leadership of what's happening and what's going on in congregations uh, that it's ever going to be corrected. Mm. Uh, if it's, if it's not brought out of the darkness into the light and people talk about it, uh, there are educational forums on it. Uh, if it's not discussed, um, if it's not discussed among leadership, uh, one of the best things I think the clergy can do is to buy a copy of this book. And I'm not just trying to sell books, buy a copy of any book on the subject and at least have uh, the leaders of the congregation study it, read it and discuss it. Um, because it is a real it is a real behavioral problem that needs to be discussed. And and biblically, what is healthy is when people repent of their sins and and change. And so, unless they're confronted with their bad behavior, um, and and this is where I think you you suggest this in the book that we don't often get that far of confronting people who are malicious or antagonistic, and we're we're depriving them of an opportunity to. Uh, to meet Jesus, to see the gospel change their life. And when we're too hesitant, you know, they might be a big giver. They, they might be influential in the congregation. Oh, well, we don't want to rock the boat here. 
um, again, we've missed out an opportunity for a miracle to occur and to see what the gospel can do in changing lives. Again, uh, you're, you're correct about that, but I think we have to get a little bit into the personality profile of the antagonists. Um, the antagonists themselves don't see themselves doing anything wrong. They're not wrong, you're wrong. What they have projected onto the pastor, uh, the lack of integrity, the lack of honesty, uh, whatever they have projected onto the pastor, they believe to be real and that they are actually doing what's best for the church. And they will tell you they're doing what's best for the church. Well, you, you argue in the book that the, the, the intent is, is to hurt, uh, is, to, is to really bring uh, damage to the church. Um, years ago, there was a book called Well-Intentioned Dragons, describing these same people. Are you familiar with that book? How, how would you distinguish what you're describing as antagonists from what this author described as, well, they're just well-intentioned and they have good motives. You seem to indicate that, no, there's some maliciousness here. I, I think they believe, I think they absolutely believe that what they're doing is for the best of, is, is for the, best of the church. I believe in their hearts, they are hmm. well-intentioned. They think they're doing what's best. But do you remember in the book when I, when I divided levels of conflict, mm -hmm. levels of conflict? And I think this is how you can distinguish. Uh, every family, every congregation, every church is going to have some disagreements. Uh, but when the disagreements are uh, um, on substance, there can be compromise and there can be resolution. You know, I, I want carpet down the aisle. I don't want carpet down the aisle. Uh, we're not spending enough on Christian education. We're not spending enough on outreach. You know, those are the sorts of things any family is going to discuss and have disagreement over. Um, it's when it starts moving up the ladder in, in the conflict pyramid uh, where, well, the reason that you uh, don't want carpet is because uh, you just don't like me. And that, you know, that's what I want. And then you start reading motives into people's behavior. The antagonists aren't at that level at all, even at the, the, the reading of the motives. The antagonists are at the very top. From the very beginning, I don't like him. I don't like her. I don't trust him. I don't trust her. He's a liar. She's a liar. Uh, she's not honest. She's not pastoral. Uh, she's not a good leader. He's not very spiritual. You see, right at the very top, they're going for the character of the pastor. Which is almost not, not defendable, right? It's not actionable. You can't change. Yeah. yeah. How would you defend that? How, how yeah. would you go about defending that? And that's, uh, that's what happens. Well, you, you write, you describe um, an antagonist this way. You say they go for the juggler. They have a singular goal. They want to hurt, humiliate, and destroy the senior pastor. In the course of their attacks, they intentionally want to divide the congregation between those that agree with them and the supporters of the rector. Uh, do you still hold to that? <laughs> I do. I do. I still hold to that. And not to agree with them is not to love them. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they put it on that same level. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to agree with them. If you don't agree with them, you don't love them. Mm -hmm. so there, there's no deference there whatsoever. What is the worst example you've seen of this? Oh, jeez. Ah, oh, Mitch. Uh, I mean, know, one that just stands out to you. <laughs> it's like asking, uh, which hurts more, knee surgery or shoulder surgery? 
because the end result, it, it, they all hurt. They're all painful. Every story, mm. uh, every story is painful. And, and they're all equally destructive to the congregation, to the pastor's health, uh, to his marriage, to his family. It, it's, it's all, they're all the same. Um, I did take, I don't know if you're aware that I've written a series of novels uh, there are nine novels. Yeah, the Mag- Magnolia series or something like that. I read, I read three of them, I think. Excellent. Very well done. I've taken some of the worst examples, and I've rolled them into those novels. Mm. Uh, it would be really hard for me. I mean, those are among the worst uh, examples that I've heard. Uh, through the years, and they're in those novels themselves. All right, we'll encourage people to buy those novels to see the... uh... (laughs) But they're all painful. It it all hurts, you know, and it's all destructive. And and you're arguing that every church has this? Every church has these people in it. Um, It's whether or not the system allows them to act out. do you remember when I, I talked about uh, doing a consulting with a particular rector that was having a hard time holding his staff? Uh-huh. And, uh, on, and the, the vestry decided that they would send him to management training. And on the way to the airport, I asked the senior woman, who, who was a very bright woman, I, I asked her, I said, you know, I need to know, why are you doing this? Why are you sending him to management training? Based upon his behavior, most congregations would move him along, uh-huh. uh, you know. And she looked at me with the biggest smile on her face, and she said, we don't allow our rectors to fail. Uh-huh. And that was, I thought, man, if we could just take that attitude and place it in every congregation, where there is healthy leadership and healthy denominational support from the superintendent or the bishops, whoever, to say, we are not going to let our pastor fail. Well, you know? Okay, you're, you're talking to maybe a group of elders, uh, leaders in the church who agree that they're antagonists, but <clears throat> this is never going to happen on our watch. Tell us what needs to exist for that to be the case? Well, I think one of the first things that a a healthy congregation can do, and one of the things that I write in the second book, giving examples of congregations that have done it. And that's uh, preventing sheep attack, right? Is that the second book? Is to have the board do the study and then have the board do a non-triangulation covenant. That in this congregation, we will not listen to anonymous rumors. In this congregation, we will follow the principles uh, laid out in the Gospel of Matthew, that if we have a problem with someone, we go directly to that problem, to that person, and express our concern, that we're not going to be a part of a little uh, biting group, uh, that we're not going to allow that in our congregation. And to rule out anonymous rumors, to rule out triangulation, that's one of the best things that can happen. If denominational leaders would do that, Instead of letting these antagonists come into their offices and complain about the senior pastor, if the denominational leader would just simply say, hey, stop just a minute. If you're going to be talking about him, I think maybe he or she should be present. So let's postpone this meeting until they can be here with us. 
And you'd be surprised at how many uh, don't want to have that meeting. Yeah, I know when we were going through our hard season, uh, it I always felt like I was in a there was a tension there between you know those who were responsible for me uh, caring about preserving the church and what what I needed, and nothing gets done. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if we're if we're diplomatic, we're trying to reason with people who are again at their heart bent on on destroying you. Uh, there's no negotiating. You know, I, I hate to say this. It's like you don't negotiate with terrorists. I used to use that term. <laughs> you know, when, when, our, when our leadership would meet with a group of people who are discontent, I would go home to my wife and say, you can't negotiate with terrorists. They're, <laughs> they're trying to blow us up. Uh, they, they need to be told to leave. And uh, in the end, we ended up leaving and, um, and had, had to deal with the, the effects of that. <laughs> Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I should not be laughing. <laughs> no, you, you, no, you absolutely. Well, you better laugh so you don't cry. <laughs> you, you, you're absolutely right. You you cannot reason with unreasonable people, and they. That, that's why our classic tools of pastoral ministry. Well, we'll just listen to them. We'll just love them more. Uh, it, they don't work mm-hmm. because that's not what they want. What they want is your head on a platter. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they don't want to um, make peace with you. Uh, they have one goal and one goal only, and that is your destruction. Mm. And by your destruction, I also point out in the book, they're not just content with removing you. They, they want you destroyed. They want your ministry reputation destroyed. And they will continue to attack you even after you're gone. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, I, I, would, I would stand by what you're saying. I think some people would have a hard time uh, seeing that that could possibly exist within the church, that, that people are bent to, to destroy. But we, we, uh, we had one ringleader uh, at, uh, you know, during one of our pockets of, of rebellion, and, uh, and he said very blatantly that I could destroy this church if I wanted to, and it revealed his heart. Um, some of the things that can be done to support the pastor, you give some, in, in the end of the book, When Sheep Attack, uh, you call this a prenuptial agreement, you know, between the leaders and the pastor. Uh, you argue for giving the pastor two days off, two consecutive days. Mm-hmm. Um, comp time, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. That, uh, you know, he works a lot, 60 hours, let him work 10 mm-hmm. hours less the next week. Um, a sabbatical, I think every seven years, uh, I know in our denomination, it's encouraged every seven years, uh, continue, go ahead. No, let's come back to the sabbatical. Okay. And then I'll finish the list here. Continuing education, uh, mutual review to where there's an opportunity to review everybody. Um, I think really get a pulse of, of the church. And then, uh, when a consultant's brought in, it's to support the pastor not just to, uh, to be an advocate for the congregation or the discontent. But yeah, the sabbatical, you were going to mention something about that. Well, let, let, let's, let's, a couple of things. First, the two days off. Pastors are the only profession I know that says I've got one day off. And it's usually Friday or Monday. Yeah. I mean, pastors today, again, I think is the, is the only 24-7 job left. And it's even worse now with computers and email and cell phones. Uh, 
I, I, you know, I can remember, I've been at it long enough, I can remember back when uh, beepers came out. Mm -hmm. uh, but the beeper was such that uh, uh, it beeped when you had a, um, on your voice recording machine in your office. Mm -hmm. Then you had to find a pay phone and you had to call in. To it wasn't easy, that. exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, today, you know, you're, with your cell phone, you're on duty 24-7. It, it's the only profession there. And where did we get off with the idea? I guess, you know, that God took one day off, but that, that was God. <laughs> you know, we're not God. And, and most every profession has two days off. We don't get Saturday and Sunday. Saturday and Sunday are busy days. Very seldom, if we take off on Friday, do we get a full Friday because there are wedding rehearsals inevitably, you know, people just don't have the good graces to always die on days other than Friday or Monday. Uh, and so, or, or during your vacation. Or during your vacation. And, and it's just a reality that pastors need to be given two full days off. And that means two complete full days off. Um, comp time is especially around uh, our busiest times of the year, Advent, Christmas, uh, Lent, Easter. Uh, those, we often don't get a day off at all during those time periods. Well, if you haven't had a day off at all for five or six weeks, I mean. You're going to feel it. You're going to feel it, and the congregation's going to feel it. And your family's going to feel it. Yeah. It's going to feel it. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, were, you were commenting on, you know, no other organization does this. Um, what, is, what is so different about church that, because uh, you don't see this in businesses where you have a, a group of antagonists who rally against the boss or successfully, I mean, you have people that are discontent. Why is the church so different? Well, again, we're the, you know, everyone's welcome. We want everyone to feel at home. Uh, you know, Jesus welcomed everyone. Jesus welcomed sinners. Uh, you know, one of my line, one of my novels is, well, Jesus never met that person. <laughs> you know, but yeah. Jesus welcomed them all. Uh, I think one of the things we've got to realize, Mitch, that I also discovered from these studies is that, these people, these antagonists, don't change their behavior when they leave church. Uh, they, they can also be traced, and again, I haven't done enough study to find it, but they can be responsible for removing the director at the country club. Uh, they act out at the Rotary Club. Uh, they don't change their behavior. They don't just reserve it just for church. Uh, their behavior goes to other organizations and other institutions. Now, in an employment they would be fired. Right. Uh, you know, you just wouldn't put up with it for a minute. Now, I guess you see that in politics. People are always trying to get rid of somebody. <laughs> somebody, you know, the best way I can deal with you is you're not okay, so you got to go. Uh, Mitch, I want to go back to sabbaticals for a minute because I discovered in, this, in, in all the work I did after the publishing of the first book, I discovered that sabbaticals may not always be a good idea that uh, huh. long sabbaticals of uh, six or seven weeks or three months or whatever, that there were an awful lot of clergy that came back from their sabbaticals only to find out that the antagonist had not only grown stronger because there was nobody there to defend them uh, and they couldn't defend themselves, um, but on several occasions they came back from their sabbaticals to find out that they no longer had a job. 
So sabbaticals, yeah, we need them. Uh, but I think in that second book, I kind of drew the conclusion, maybe it's, or maybe it was a third one, I can't remember exactly. Maybe we need to have more mini sabbaticals. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah, it's certainly a long sabbatical provided that uh, there, there's some, uh, some health in the church, a level of health, and, and that these, this potential is not there, what you're, you're citing. No, that's good. That's very good. Uh, how how have you seen pastors stay focused and healthy? Uh, my mission statement for this podcast and blog site is is to uh, to help people have courage and perspective when serving gets hard. What have you seen with pastors that that just stay stay encouraged to keep their perspective as this is going on? Being a pastor, I think, is one of the hardest jobs that uh, anyone can, uh, can take. Um, the church that I was ordained in is not the church of today. Um, it's, it's a, it, I, think, I think the pastor today has a much more difficult job than I had. Uh, a lot of it having to do with the so-called improvements in communication. But also, pastors today have to deal with a lot more controversies. Uh, that I had to deal with. Mm. Uh, when, when I was ordained, uh, we were dealing maybe a little bit with whether or not to revise the prayer book. Uh, and that was painful for a lot of people and controversial, but um, the, the, the uh, issues were more around what flavor of incense were you going to use for the solemn high mass, or you know, do you wear your coat uh, and change into a chasuble, or do you wear your chasuble and then change into a coat? I mean, these were really, you know, tough decisions we had to make in those days. <laughs> uh, today, you have all kinds of issues uh, that the pastor uh, has to deal with. Everything from sexuality. Uh, in, in our church, it was the ordination of women. Uh, today, uh, racism seems to be the byword, uh, the, the, the buzzword. Uh, there are just so many things that pastors have to deal with for which there just seems to be no happy resolution. Uh, because if you take a stand in one direction, you're going to offend this part of your congregation. If you take a stand in the other, you're going to offend that part of your congregation. Uh -huh. And so there's just so many divisive issues that pastors have to deal with. And even if there were no antagonists present at all, just the, the stress of having to move from uh, one situation to another, uh, you may be uh, dealing with somebody in your office one minute uh, who's upset because their daughter get, didn't get chosen head cheerleader. Uh, but then you have to walk out of that meeting and go bury the child of someone else who mm. uh, her child completely. And just the strain of that, that emotional yeah. movement wow. Wow. is tough on a pastor. So even in the best situations, pastor have it tough. I think the things that I suggested, the two days off, the comp time, maintaining your health, uh, all of those are good. But uh, I think it was in the second or maybe it was the third book on healing uh, for the pastor and the people where I discovered all those studies about the number of pastors that deal with high blood pressure, the number of pastors that are overweight, the percentage of pastors that uh, have diabetes. Uh, you know, all the, the health problems that are kind of unique to pastors um, and uh, that maintaining our own health 
with exercise and good diet and good rest, in addition to, to working, uh, is, uh, is essential. Yeah, I think the, the a day off minimum, two days, is enough for a pastor to uh, catch his breath, to get perspective. Um, I, I, would, I would say, and I know you would too, that during that time, it's essential that he's being nurtured well um, with good support, people that he can talk to uh, outside his congregation. That, that's, what, that's what kept me going is I had some key people outside the church mm-hmm. that encouraged me mm-hmm. and, um, and that gave me great input and advice on how to handle uh, these people in these situations. And, um, and then, of course, uh, you know, family, uh, spending time with family. Uh, you know, I argue in my ministry that the greatest pastoring role you have is at home, and, and sometimes you need to step away from your church and realize, hey, the, the most important relationship I have is right here. And, uh, and that helps pastors to, to be able to, to get that balance and, and that perspective. Um, even then, Mitch, you got to you got to realize that the church schedule itself works. Yeah, against- yeah, yeah. If if yes, exactly. Assuming that they do what a church permits, what you're suggesting here, and, and providing that time, yeah, and that can be that can be part of the agenda of an antagonist is to control your the the pastor's schedule, right? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It's not it's not always a tax and in, in a visible like we would think of. Uh, you know, verbally abusive. It, it can be, uh, hey, you, you know, if you're going to do this, you need to let me know. Uh, or why aren't you in your office? Um, I stopped by, you weren't there. I mean, that, that's what an antagonist does, right? That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. In closing, Dennis, wh- uh, what, would you, what would you say to a pastor listening right now uh, who's just overwhelmed with all of this, and you know he's feeling the pressure. He feels surrounded by antagonists. Uh, it might be one or two people. I mean, you you mentioned in your book, and we've heard the statistic before. It it can just be two percent of the congregation. It could be just one person, but he feels like it's an army. Uh, what what could you say to him right now to encourage him? Well, once again, the first thing I'd say to them is that you need to realize this is not information about you. The second thing I would say to them is you, you, you need to take care of yourself uh, and you need to take care of your spouse. You need to take care of your children. Uh, you need to listen to your health. That if this is really getting to you, making the decision to move on is a healthy decision. Uh, if you're making the decision, you're going to try to stay with it then you absolutely have to be able to read the tea leaves. You've got to be able to read the signs. Do you have strong support from your bishop or your denominational authority? Do you have healthy lay leaders who are willing to stand with you to tell the antagonist to knock it off? Mm. You don't have it. Then probably my counsel has been whenever I've received visits, you know, is for your own health. It might be time to look for another move on. Yeah. Yeah. And you do that. And that's a healthy decision. It's not throwing in the towel. It's not getting fired. It's not, it's not being weak. It's actually being strong. 
I just thought of this. Uh, if if a, a pastor leaves a, a context like that, he goes into a new situation, or he doesn't even have, it doesn't have to necessarily be someone that comes out of a painful context. But uh, what what can he do when he goes into a new church to spot the antagonist or to uh, do kind of a you know uh, uh, you know send the spies ahead you know just just to sort of determine what am I coming into here is there a way to tell I think one of the first things you need to do is look at the history of the congregation mm -hmm. look at uh, the pastors before you and how they left because a congregation that has removed a pastor in the, in the past will remove another one. Mm -hmm. and, and, you, and you need to know what's happened before you. I think we pastors are just narcissistic enough that we believe we will be the exception. The first one to make it. <laughs> to break one. this pattern, yeah. Because we're so much better than those other guys, you know, or gals. You know, we're just better than they were. And so we're not like them. Uh, not true. Yeah. I think I, uh, let's look at the history of the congregation. Yeah. I, I tell guys, and I mean this, I, I tell, and some guys have come back and told me they did this, but when you go to a new church or you're, you're candidating, interviewing, uh, ask them this question, who, who in this church do I need to get along well with in order to be successful? And unless they give you the name of 85-year-old uh, Bertha, the prayer warrior, don't go to that church. <laughs> you know, if they, say, if they say it's Bob, the head of the board, who's a businessman, you know, to me, that's a, that's a red flag. Do you agree with that? That sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> pretty good to me. Yeah. All right. But so we're hoping for more 85-year-old Berthas who are prayer warriors. We'll take that. There you are. There you are. Uh, well, I, I know, uh, Dr. Main, I, I know this will be a real help to a lot of people. And again, your two books that I have are When Sheep Attack. And then the second book is Preventing a Sheep Attack, which is written seconds, right? And then you have a third one the first, on the healing. For healing. Healing for Pastors and People Following a Sheep Attack. Okay. And that one, I, I went back to people who had been through a sheep attack, and I tried to interview them and find out if there was a pattern of what things had they done. And this time it was not just clergy, it was also the lay people mm -hmm. who had gone through it. And asked them, what have you done to heal? Mm -hmm. How have you been able to heal? through this process. And again, I found a pattern, uh, which is very interesting. We, we think we're so unique, you know, mm -hmm. but, but we're not. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're all a part of the common human family. And uh, we may think that it's unique to us, uh, a certain experience or a certain way of doing things. But when, when we start looking at each other, we find out, gosh, we have an awful lot in common, don't we? And even mm -hmm. healing sheep attack. I found among laity and clergy, they're using basically the same tools for healing. And so I would highly recommend a third book, of course, uh, Healing for Pastors and People Following a Sheep Attack. Well, I'll put those resources on the website, uh, the beforeyouquits.us uh, uh, website. Uh, those will be there for people to, uh, uh, to select the link. Uh, hey, thank you for giving me your time and for uh, investing into this. And a lot of people have been blessed. and. 
it's just great to be able to add to the blessing through this podcast. Well, thank you, Mitch, and thank you for your ministry. What you're doing is a good thing. You are so welcome, Dallas. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for listening to this Before You Quit podcast. I do apologize about the quality of the audio. Uh, I'm always trying to improve on what I'm doing, but I noticed this time particularly my voice was not as clear as it has been in the past. So no excuses, determined to work at it and to keep improving. Uh, So, hey, if you have any questions about anything that you've heard about in this uh, interview or any other episode that you've listened to it before you quit i'd love to hear from you you can email me at mitch at before you quit dot us and again if you want to look at any of the books that i've written on the subject you can go to amazon and look for the whisper by mitch a schultz or the guardian by mitch a schultz you can also go to our website for other podcasts and for uh, blogs and if you're interested to know more about our ministry you can go to www.fruitfulvineministry.com and we sure hope to, uh, to hear from you. So until next week, stay encouraged and be courageous because serving Jesus is worth all that hard stuff that comes with it. And remember what we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So until next time, stay encouraged. Mm -hmm.